start off with a quote this morning. It's by a man by the name of Robert Half. He is a consulting guru here in the United States, and this is what he says. Asking the right questions takes as much skill as giving the right answers. Asking the right questions takes as much skill as giving the right answers. Let me give you an example of this. Back in the mid-70s, the, co the company of Kodak pretty much dominated photography back in the 70s. In fact, in the mid-70s, they had 90% of all of the photography market. Cameras, film, processing, and paper. 90% of it went to Kodak. Now, here's an interesting thing. In 1975, engineers from Kodak developed the digital camera, very first company to ever develop the digital camera. But in meetings with all of their executives, they decided not to put the digital camera into production in fear of taking away sales from film. They wanted to make more money selling their film. So when they were asking questions, how do we make more money? How do we keep our company going? They were like, well, we want to sell film. We want to make film. We want to keep, you know, producing more and more film. And so they asked the wrong questions, which led them to the wrong answers. And they decided that instead of producing a digital camera, they would just keep making film. Now, that seems crazy because 40 years from now, or 40 years now later, you look at it and some of you... Some of you in here wouldn't even recognize film if I showed it to you. Like, you wouldn't even know what to do with it. Film is just like this archaic thing that your grandparents used. You would have no idea. And Kodak not only dominated photography, but they had the very first digital camera. But by asking the wrong questions, it led them to the wrong answers. And therefore, now they're just like a has-been company. I mean, I, I, that's pretty harsh to say. I shouldn't say that. They have a sl just a small slice of the market share that they had 40 years ago. Now, how does that apply to you and I? Well, by asking the wrong question in our own lives, many times we come to very poor conclusions, just like the company Kodak did. When you're presented with an opportunity, when you're presented with a dilemma, when you're presented with a fork in the road, a situation or a temptation, our brain immediately kick into asking questions that sometimes aren't really the best questions to ask. We, we ask things like, I don't know, it, it, was, would this be fun? Um, would this be legal? Um, is there anything wrong with it? Um, would I get caught if I did it? Could I get away with it? All of these things rapidly go through our head, and those are not bad questions, but often they're not the best question to ask when we're trying to figure out an answer. Remember what Robert Half said at the very beginning, asking the right questions takes as much skill as giving the right answers. A decade ago, I read a book by Andy Stanley uh, called The Best Question, and it changed the paradigm from which I personally viewed making decisions. And um, it became a filter in which I used to think, okay, at every invitation, at every opportunity, every time... I'm at a fork in the road, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I do my relationships. All of a sudden, he, he outlined this incredible way with this incredible question to look and get clarity to understand a better way to ask the best question to find out what the best answer is. And suddenly, I had this single principle, which turned into a single question, which for me really cleared up a lot of the ambiguity 
in things. And if I would have adopted this question, and if you would adopt this question, it would go to help us understand why we do some of the things we do, why we make bad decisions, why we can't figure out what the, the best decision it is, and it really brings a lot of clarity. And it cuts through a lot of the multiple choices that we have to really get to the right answer. But I'll tell you this, we'll get to the question a little bit later. It's also, it's also a question that strips away all of the facades, and it really gets down to the root. In fact, when you ask the question, what's scary is sometimes you get an answer about yourself that you may not really like. It may tell you something about yourself that you're kind of like, oh, I didn't really want to think about it that way. I really, really didn't want to look at it. I really didn't want to know that about myself. But before we get to this question, I want to spend some time looking in God's Word at three verses in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And we're going to look at these verses, and then they're going to dovetail right into what we're going to talk about this best question. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, or if you look at it on your phone or your iPad or tablet or whatever you have. If not, I'll have the verses here on the screen. Let me give you a little background as we're turning there to what's going on in this passage. The book of Ephesians was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of disciples of Jesus that lived in the city of Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus, which we have on a map that kind of gives you an idea of where Ephesus is. Now, you can still go to Ephesus today. You probably wouldn't want to live there because it's like archaeological ruins. That's all that, that there is today. But the, at the hub of the city back in the first century was the Temple of Artemis. And we have a picture. Very incredible. And the ruins of that, that, that building are still in ancient Ephesus today. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this. This was like the biggest, huge building that stood right in the, the center of the city. It was for the Greek goddess Artemis. And she was a female goddess of fertility. So basically anyone that wanted to have kids, uh, become fertile, that, that was like you were supposed to pray to her. So what happened was in this temple, they kind of mixed religion and sex together. And so uh, prostitution was not only legal, it was rampant, and that was all kind of part of their religious ceremony at the time. So this is all going on in the city of Ephesus that Paul is writing to. This is the culture that, that the Christians living in Ephesus were, were um, exposed to. So Paul makes some statements which, if you lived in that culture back in the first century and you lived with all this going on in your city, may seem a little strange because a little out of touch because he says things in the book of Ephesians like I want you not to get involved in sexual immorality when they lived in this town that was full of sexual immorality he says I don't want you to be greedy when he when they live in this culture that's full of greed I don't want you to mishandle your money when there's all these things going on and people are mishandling their money all over the place he says, I, I want you to have good, positive relationships, both friendships and in, in marriage, and there's, there's all kinds of crazy things going on in their town. He says, I want you to make good, wise, godly choices. And people that he's writing to probably would feel like us today and go, well, I understand that, but it seems a little strange because not everyone in this culture is doing that. It seems kind of countercultural. And so after a long list of do's and don'ts in the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us some insight in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. And I believe from these three verses, 
we derive what I believe is the best question as far as helping us make decisions that honor God and lead us to the life that God wants for us and that we want for ourselves. So let's look at verse 15. Here's what it says. Be very careful then. Now let's stop there. In the original language, the word then actually is in front of the sentence. So it's like, then be very careful or therefore be very careful. In light of all these things that I've taught you, all these things that I've said, all these things that I've told you how to live differently than the world, you need to be very careful in the way that you handle marriage, the way that you handle money, the way that you handle friendship, the way that you handle forgiveness. Be very careful and the words very careful literally mean look out. It's, it's the root word from the English terms. We get sight, seeing, scoping things out. So you need to look around. You need to look behind. You need to be on the lookout. Be very careful then how you live. That means how you do all these things in your life, how you do work, how you do school, how you do relationships, money, people, spare time, hobbies, all of these things. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, when Paul talks about unwise, he's referring to being careless, living outside of the influences and the parameters that that God has given for us. And when he talks about being wise, he's referring to wisdom that only comes from your heavenly father. You won't find it in the world. You won't find it maybe from the guy next to you in a cubicle, your roommate, your neighbor, wisdom that only comes from your heavenly father. Now, I can remember when I first understood this principle for the very first time, the difference that it made to me personally to know that, okay, there is this wisdom that God gives. It's different than everything that we see and hear and know in culture. God has not called us to live at a level of what is permissible. God has not called us to only live at a level of what is legal. God has not called us to only live at a level of what is moral. He's called us to a higher standard. And that's the standard of wisdom. Now, many times we ask ourselves the questions like this. We're here and we think, how close can I get to the edge of immorality without doing something immoral? So take a step. How close can I get to doing something illegal, but it still is legal? How close can I get to sin, but not sin? Like, I don't want to do that. I just want, I want to get right up to the line. I want to get as close as I can. I just don't want to go over. I just want to, like, be right here on the edge. And, and maybe I just, like, dip my foot down there every now and then like that. But, you know, I'm not doing anything bad because other people are doing it. I just want to, like, I just want to g- get close. Not, not, not over the line, just up to the line, which is not a wise thing to do which is not in God and all of his wisdom is saying, I, I, didn't, I didn't create you to see how f- much you could get away with. That's not the point. God said there's a better way to live. There's a better standard. There's, there's a better way to do things. So he says, be very careful then how you live, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise. Now let's go on to verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity. Now that idea of opportunity is the idea of time. And time doesn't ever stand still, and time doesn't ever go backwards. Time always moves forward. You can't stop it, and you can't go backwards. Unless you have a DeLorean and a flux capacitor and can go 88 miles an hour. But that's a different story. We're not going to get into that. So Paul is telling the people living, you need to make the most of every opportunity. Make the very most of it. But if you ask the wrong questions... 
you'll get the wrong answer. And if you get the wrong answer, then you can't ever go back and erase it. So make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, Paul was looking around the first century and he's like, unless you've, you know, not picked up the clue phone, the, the days and times that you live in now are evil. You live in a day and time where what God says is wrong, culture says is right. You live in a time where what God says is not permissible, the culture says is permissible. You live in a period of time where what God says is unhealthy, culture says should be legal, accepted, and celebrated. And very much like the people that Paul's writing to, you and I living in the United States of America in the 21st century face those very same situations within our culture. By evil, what Paul is saying, the days being evil, he's meaning that if you just like pick up your feet and you just float and you just go with what everyone else is doing, with what the culture says is okay, with what the media says should, should, should be the norm, if you just do that, if you just float, you will find yourself and end up in a situation very far removed from the plan and the idea that God has for your lives. Verse 17, Paul says, therefore... Therefore, in light of the fact that you want to do the right thing, in light of the fact that you want to make godly choices, in light of the fact that you want a strong marriage, that you want to handle your money correctly, you want to raise your kids in the right way, in light of the fact that Jesus came so that you could be alive and wicked free, he says, don't be foolish. Don't be careless. Don't be naive. Don't be stupid. Don't be irresponsible. Don't ask the wrong questions. Be smart, be alert, and make good choices. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That you have a heavenly Father who has a plan for your life, a plan to allow you to flourish, a plan that will allow you hope and joy and freedom and forgiveness and a mercy, that God has a plan for you to experience all of those kinds of things. And when we honestly seek God's will, some of the things that become cloudy in life all of a sudden become clear. But the problem is many times when they become clear, we're a little bit afraid of what actually the reality and the clarity looks like. An example, I mean, if, if you were to say to yourself, okay, Dan, I want to do the wise thing and I want to do the right thing, and, and, but in the term of relationships with the opposite sex, if I do that, that may mean that, you know, like some of the people that I know and some of the places that I go and, you know, some of the people I have a relationship with and the friends with benefits and all that kind of stuff, it's like going to mean that, like, I, that's really not going to, I can't participate in that anymore, because what you're going to find is you're going to see that God's going to unveil this reality about yourself if you're trying to do what is wise and what is true. Then all of a sudden, you're going to look at it and go, that means that things have to change. Here's another example. If it's your money, you think, well, if I'm really honest and I try to do this life, this plan that God has for me, and I look at my money, that may mean that I have to stop spending money on some of the things I like to spend money on. That may mean that he's asking me to give money to other people and give it away. That may mean that I, instead of buying things, I should save or do other things. And you think of that and you're like, oh, but that means I have to change. That means I have to be different. That means I can't keep doing the things that I want to do. And here's the right question to ask yourself. Not, is it legal? Is it moral? Can I get away with it? Is anyone else doing it? Am I going to get caught? The best question to ask is, is it wise? 
Is what I'm doing, is what I'm deciding, is it wise? Is it a wise thing to do? Not a right or wrong thing. Not, not a can I get away with it thing. Not do other people say that it's, it's, it's a good idea. Is it wise? Not even if it's, is it a sin, because sometimes that's a tricky question because that becomes debatable. That becomes debatable. Is it a sin? Well, it's not a sin. Well, yeah, it is. Well, no, it's not. Well, yeah, it is. Okay, cut that out and say, is it wise? Is it a wise thing for me to do? Now, as a pastor, I get asked very interesting questions all the time. People uh, come to me and, and ask questions. One of my favorite happened right when I was out of college, and a guy that I knew, um, he was a truck driver. He was kind of a scruffy guy. He, uh, he asked me, he's like, Dan, is it a sin to moon people? I was like, James, I don't, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I don't, I don't know. And now I'm, I'm, now I'm wondering why you even want to know the answer to this question. But uh, anyway, but as a pastor, you get asked questions. I've been asked questions all the time. Like, is it a sin to, and you fill in the blank. I mean, you come up with thousands of things. Is it a sin to move in with my boyfriend? Is it a sin to go to the bars and drink alcohol? Is it a sin to go to R-rated movies? Is it a sin to listen to music that has explicit lyrics? Is it a sin to fudge on my taxes? Is it a sin to get... Uh, want to get out of an emotionally dead marriage? Is it a sin to not attend church? I mean, you fill in the blank. There are a million questions out there, but I don't think that's the best question to ask when we're trying to figure out whether to do something or not. The best question isn't, is it a sin? The best question to ask is, is it wise? Is it wise for me to do this? Because when you ask that question, all of a sudden, it kind of strips down all the other things, all your motives, and gets down to you and truly answering the question. And to answer that question, I want to give you three qualifiers that are going to help, okay? Three different lenses to look through, and then we're going to look at each one of these, and then we're going to wrap our time up today. Here's the first lens to look through. In light of my past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? Not everybody's past experiences— N not, not your roommates, not the guy you work with, not your sister. Your, in light of your past experience, what's the wise thing to do? Second lens to look through. In light of your current circumstances, where you're at right now, with where you're at, not where anybody else is at, but where you're at, is it a wise thing to do? And the third lens, in light of your future hopes and dreams. In light of your future hopes and dreams, is it a wise thing to do? Now let's unpack each one of these briefly. Okay, in light of my past experience, of my past experience is it a wise thing to do. I had a friend who I knew uh, several years back that decided to get married. He got married, but he went through premarital counseling with him and his fiance, and they got married. And in their counseling, there were some things that came up about the dysfunctions in each of their families and their parents and, and their situations where he decided in his mind that the best thing for them to do was once they got married, after the wedding, they were going to commit to being in marriage counseling for the first, first six months of their marriage. Now, is that what every married couple needs to do? I, I don't think so. There's not a chapter and verse in the Bible that says that that's what you ought to do. But in his mind, in light of his past experiences, his situation, his fiance's situation, what they had learned, in light of all of that, he decided the wise thing to do would be for us to go ahead and do marriage counseling the first six months that we're married because of what he hoped that his marriage would be. That's a way of looking at your past and helping you make a good decision. I also have a friend of mine that um, a few years back, 
he was a musician and he had struggled with uh, alcohol most of his life. It had always been an issue. And he had, um, he had, he had, had some success in getting out of that and uh, turning his life around and dealing with it and get not, not relying on it. But he comes to this conclusion and he tells me that uh, he thinks he's going to start up a band and they're going to go around on the weekends and play in bars on Friday and Saturday nights. Now, is it wrong to be in a band? No, it's not wrong. I- is it wrong to go to a place and play music that serves alcohol? I- I'm not sure that I could find a chapter and verse that would say that that is necessarily wrong. But for him, he asks me, he's going to do this. And I'm like, dude, I don't think that's wise. Because of his past experience, because of where he had been, because of the struggles that he had lived through, because of his propensity, the way he was wired, his personality, the things that he dealt with, his weaknesses for him, I was like, come on, come on. I don't think this is a smart idea for you. Not for everyone, but for you? I mean, really? After all you've been through, you're going to do this? Like, it just didn't make sense. In light of your past experiences... Is it wise? Now, as followers of Jesus, we are called not to live at a level of what is moral, what is permissible, what is legal, or what is cultural. Those are all things, but we're not called to just live at that level. We've been called to ask a bigger question at every opportunity and at every situation. And when we look at our, li- our, our past experience, a lot of times it can help us figure out what is wise. I mean, when we ask questions like, well, what happened the last time I went out with a person like that? What happens the last time that I bought something on my credit card without telling my spouse that I was going to do it? What happened the last time that I went out with a, the girls and went to a club dancing? What was the last time that I made that kind of investment with my money? What happened the last time that I invited him to come over for the night? Well, the last time that I went out of town on a business trip, if you think about that, the last time, all of a sudden, it starts to reveal that maybe there's a wise thing and because of the way that you're wired and what you've experienced that may not be wrong, may not be illegal, may not even be a sin, but is it wise? In light of your past experience, is it wise? And if you, are, if you ask yourself that question, all of a sudden, and you're honest with yourself, it's going to reveal something about you and help you make a much better choice. Now, what about your present? In light of my current situation, with here and now, where I'm at right now, what's the wise thing to do? In light of the fact of what's going on in my marriage, or what's going on in my work, or what's going on in my schooling, or what's going on with this stage of life where I'm at, what's the wise thing to do? Several years ago, I had a good friend who was going through a nasty divorce, and um, his wife had found another person, and it got messy and ugly, like only those things can do, and uh, it, it kind of got drawn out, and they were trying to finalize it with the lawyers, and uh, it was just uh, a complete mess, and it lasted months and months and months and months. So in his mind, he had kind of moved on. And um, it, it was tough on his kids. It, it was just, the, there was a lot of things to have to split up to decide how the, the financial parts were all going to work out. Well, anyway, he meets this girl, and he's seen her a couple of times, and he asks me this question. He's like, I'm thinking about introducing her to my kids. And I said, dude, your divorce is not even over yet. And he's like, I, I know, but like, I, I'm done with it, and I'm thinking about introducing this girl to my kids. 
And I was like, I, I know you're raw, I know you're lonely, I know all those things are going on, but in light of your current situation, like, is that a wise thing to do? I mean, really, is that a very wise thing to do? Now, is it wrong to introduce someone to your kids? I mean, I don't think it's, it's wrong. I'm just not sure for him it was wise. See, there's a big difference between that. When, when we ask that question, all of a sudden things become a little more clear. In light of your past experience and in light of your current situation, What's the wise thing to do? Now, one more lens to look through, your future. In light of your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? In light of your future hopes and dreams as a married person. In light of your future hopes and dreams as a parent. In light of your hopes and dreams as a single person who hopes to be happily married at some point in the future, what's the wise thing to do? In light of your future hopes and dreams financially and how you want to be in a certain place with your money at some point in your life, what's the wise thing to do? In light of your future hopes and dreams with your walk and your maturity and your spiritual life with God, in light of your future hopes and dreams academically and professionally, what's the wise thing to do? If you start asking that question, all of a sudden it's going to reveal things. It's going to reveal ways for you to maybe see things about you that you don't necessarily like, but it's going to clearly cut to the chase. Because if you refuse to ask the question, here's what you do. You rob yourself of the hopes and dreams and the plan that God has for your life. Just for a minute, if you think about that just for a minute, if you strip away all the, yeah, but, okay, but I don't think it's wrong, and I, I, there's not really a, a verse against that, and I think I can get away with it, and I know other people have done it, and, you know, they seem okay with it. Forget all that, erase all that, and just really get down to what is the wise thing to do for you. Because if you ask that question with those three lenses, it will really take you down to the heart of what truly is important. So your heavenly father says to you through the apostle Paul, I want you to live as wise, not unwise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And in light of all that, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. My prayer for you today is that you would do that. That you would ask yourself that question. That you would be strong enough to say, God, I'm willing to ask that question instead of coming up with all of these other questions or somehow trying to figure out what I want to do and then come up with some kind of justification to say, other people are doing it or it, won't, or it doesn't hurt everyone or whatever spin you want to put on it. But if you really want to know God's plan for your life, if you really want to experience the joy and the freedom and the life that he wants, ask yourself that very question. In light of my past experiences and my current situation and my future hopes and dreams, God, What's the wise thing for me to do? And if you're a little bit scared to ask that question because you're scared of what the answer is, then, then I tell you what, you've just discovered something about yourself, that your heavenly father wants to interface in your life. And he wants to guide you, he wants to direct you, and he wants what's best for you. And when we get a little bit like, I'm scared to ask it because I'm scared what the answer is gonna be, all of a sudden we realize there's this tension in the invisible world and if we're willing to trust God on this, we're willing to ask that question and really seek what his answer is and ultimately know that he will not lead us down a path that is ultimately hurtful or is wrong for us. 
then we've discovered a beautiful thing. And my prayer as one of your pastors is that we would all be strong enough to ask that question. Now I want to close with just another verse in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. Listen to this verse. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. The person who asks the wrong questions is a fool. But he who walks wisely, who asks the right question, the best question of what, what is truly wise for me, God, will be delivered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Would you say that with me now, everyone? Let's say this together. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. One more time, as if you had not lost an hour of sleep last night, okay? He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Let me pray for you. Father, um, all of us in this 